Welcome to The Sword and the Trowel, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. We are very grateful to you that you are joining us for this episode of The Sword and the Trowel. Uh, when we get started today, we want to talk a little bit about um, regenerate church membership. Regenerate? Church membership? The born-again membership. Aren't you being a little narrow? Don't you love all people? You can tell me that some people shouldn't be members of your church. You know what? You can come join this church. You can deny Christ. You can join this church. We'll baptize you. you, you just, don't worry about the resurrection. Just get down to the front. Just come we'll on take down. care of the rest. Come on down here. <laughs> come on down here. And we're going to just get you in there because we're all about those numbers. Yeah, we don't judge. No judgment. No this judgment. is a no judgment judge zone. not lest you be judged. That's what the Bible says. Absolutely. So, matter of fact, let's not even do church membership. Well, that just seems that would be a lot easier, actually. That implies, more loving, more loving, more loving. It implies that there'd be like be like two groups, like those who are members, insiders and outsiders. And those who don't go there, members. man. That's just outsiders. You gonna tell somebody they're an outsider? It sounds kind of discriminating. Who are to you to keep anybody out? Who are you? <laughs> who you think you are, man? Now, all we are doing right here is just kind of uh, quoting oh, what we have heard through the years. And people have actually said to us, not all those words in that way, but I've had that said to me multiple times. Who do you think you are? Mm. Tell me I can't come to the Lord's table. You know, I think that Christians get pressed on that all the time. We've got to go Matthew 28 on them. Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. Not only did Jesus say, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe, obey all I've commanded, that should give us enough of a warrant to go and do these things. But... Before he said that, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Oh, you're talking about the great omission. All, <laughs> all, all of it. All of it up in heaven, got that. All of it down here on earth, I got that too. Yeah. So uh, when somebody says, who are you? You say, oh, we'll see, I'm a representative of the king. Well, don't you think, though, that our churches should allow people to be members, and then if they have kids, let their kids be members too? No, you why not? Be, Come on! You, you need to have that regenerate church membership going on. Regenerate church membership across yeah. the board. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. So oh, you think God. that? <laughs> so yes, baptize your children after they profess faith in Christ. That's right. Raise them go. up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Absolutely, because they need to be disciples. Because it was the disciples who were baptized. Yeah, nurture that. Nurture. Well, the regenerate church membership is a Baptist principle. It's a fundamental Baptist principle, and yet it is one that seems like we are more ready to give lip service to today than actually put into practice. Mm-hmm. So the uh, the front door of membership then is profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who repent of sin and confess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are to be baptized and welcomed into the church. The back door of that regenerate church membership is church discipline. Those who yeah. uh, those need to be removed from the church if they are no longer professing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ or if they're walking in habitual grievous sin, then uh, we seek to have the local church of Christ uh, representative uh, of the church in heaven. We want people in the church uh, to be 
professing faith in Christ and following the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we get criticized on this from some of our friends saying, well, how do you know if their hearts have been regenerated? Are you God? You can't know that. And of course, we're not claiming that. We're saying credible profession of faith, a profession of faith that Christ is Savior, followed by a life that lives under the Lordship of Christ. That's one side of the argument or the opposition. The other side of the opposition is, look, you know, man, you guys are being too strict. You're being too strict here, and uh, you should just uh, take everybody at their word. And anybody that says, I, I trust Jesus, I've invited Jesus into my heart, then you have no right to keep them from being a member of your church. That's right. And you know, interesting, this is not this is not really a debate with our Presbyterian brothers so much. Exclusively. As, yeah, and it's not—we we have a lot more in common with them on this front— than we do with those who simply don't care about membership. Presbyterian brothers make the same thing. Those who are serious about church discipline, they right. have to make judgments, and they confess that those judgments are not, um, they're not um, infallible. Yeah. yeah, they're not infallible. And so, uh, you know, we're all sitting here going, okay, yeah, when somebody's coming and professing faith in Christ, are we warranted to baptize this person? Yeah. And uh, on the back end, when there's discipline things going on, are, are we... Uh, is it necessary, and are we warranted to excommunicate this person from membership? So, the um, the necessity of infallibility is not necessary yeah. in order to walk humbly according to regenerate church membership principles. Yeah, absolutely. That argument's a false flag, and nobody should fall for it. And this is an important issue. Um, you know, you're in the Southern Baptist Convention, aren't you? Aren't you a Southern Baptist? I like to think – I don't like thinking of myself as in the Southern Baptist Convention. What do you like to think of yourself? I'm a, I'm a minister of a Baptist church that's in happy cooperation. So you're a Southern Baptist. Other. So as a Southern Baptist, oh, yeah. you're in a convention that has 16 million members, and the FBI can't find 8 million of them. <laughs> All right? So here's the deal. I mean, we talk about this, and yet Baptist Faith and Message, which is the, the widely regarded mm-hmm. statement of faith of the Southern Baptist Convention, clearly spells out regenerate church membership. And everybody says, oh, we've got to adhere to the Baptist faith message. We've got to adhere to the Baptist faith message. And yet, practically speaking, they it just skip isn't that one. done. We'll it skip isn't that done. One. You, um, th- this, we have so many problems in our churches, and we've seen cultural societal issues now that are springing up because of problems in our churches, and we're going right along with the culture. And I want to argue that the problem is more fundamental than just the fact that we don't have certain systems in places in our churches to, mm. to deal with issues. If we would just do what we claim to be as Baptists and practice regenerate church membership and the corollary of church discipline, then we would automatically have mechanisms in place that come from the Scripture mm. to deal with these kind of issues. Yeah, it's no uh, wonder that some bad things uh, go on uh, under the lack of oversight of those in authority. All kinds of wickedness can go on. And one of the reasons it goes on is because those authorities have not been paying close attention to this principle of regenerate church membership. That's right. Making sure that people are professing faith in Christ, being baptized, and if there's something funky going on in people's lives or in the church, it's dealt with. It's not swept under the rug. That's right. It's not it's not kind of moved out of the back door while nobody's while nobody's watching. No, this is brought uh, before the congregation and dealt with appropriately. And you know, we uh, at Founders Ministries, we've been dealing with this for 30 plus years. So you can go to founders.org if you want more information and just do a search for regenerate church membership and you'll find enough material to keep you busy for hours in terms of what we have published on this issue.
our next section, we want to commend a book to you. Uh, this book goes right along with what we just talked about. It's The Baptism of Disciples Alone by Fred Malone. The uh, subtitle is A Covenantal Argument for Credo-Baptism versus Pedo-Baptism. This is a a fine, fine treatment of a very crucial issue. Uh, There's a revised and expanded edition that Founders Press has published, and you can get it from the founders.org bookstore. So if you go there and look it up, you can find this book. This book is written by a man who was a Baptist, who went to seminary, became a Pado-Baptist, was ordained as a Pado-Baptist, served in Pado-Baptist churches, and then when he began thinking through baptizing his own children, went back to Scripture, studied it, had a crisis, theological crisis, because he could not theologically justify baptizing his own children. So he met with a session, met with the presbytery, wrote, they asked him to write a position paper. He did. It was a little paper called A String of Pearls Unstrung, which we've also published at Founders Press, and then um, left the PCA honorably with, with sadness on his part and on the parts of his colleagues and became a Baptist pastor. Fred now serves uh, as a Baptist pastor in First Baptist Church of Clinton, Louisiana. Now, this book uh, has been called by uh, Al Moeller, who's the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, as one of the most important books on baptism to appear in at least 200 years. I heard a, mm. uh, a PCA church history professor just recently say that it is the best book on baptism for Baptists to read. He's, Fred deals with the arguments of covenant theology. He is a covenant theologian from a credo-Baptist perspective. So the book uh, is polemical in the sense that it tries to deal with the best arguments for paedo-baptism, but it is very iron, uh, ironic. It's not is ironic. 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 Thank you for correcting my vowels. And Fred is very kind in his treatment of those with whom we disagree. He deals with John Murray quite a bit with incredible respect. I mean, John Murray is a giant. We use his books and love the way that uh, he explains scripture on so many issues. So I commend this book. If you're a Pado baptist who's uh, struggling with a question, then I would encourage you to read this book. If you are a credo-baptist who wants to strengthen your thinking about what the Bible teaches on baptism, I commend this book. Yeah, he, he does some good work in getting at the heart of the matter of covenant theology. A lot comes down to one's definition of a covenant. He contends that um, covenantal Presbyterians broaden the definition of a covenant to include blood conditions and physical seed or, or an organic component. And then after doing that, say, well, these things need to be present then in the new covenant as well. Uh, Whereas covenantal Baptists don't have such a broad definition, a more simple definition of a a sovereign bond or a promise or some kind of pledge of God to man, and then uh, deal with specific revelation to determine the content of the various covenants of promise. So you have... uh, Classically, Pado-Baptists assuming that the Abrahamic covenant uh, is the covenant of grace, uh, that it is an administration of the covenant of grace, whereas um, Covenantal Baptists see that uh, the covenant of grace is revealed through the Abrahamic, Mosaic, Davidic, but uh, inaugurated, realized in uh, the new covenant. And uh, some of that is is being uncovered uh, now, 
even more and more uh, about our heritage of Baptist covenant theology. Yeah, it's a great book on hermeneutics as well. He shows a key difference in a hermeneutical principle between the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith and the Westminster Confession of Faith regarding the good and necessary inferences that come from what Scripture actually says. So we commend the book to you. encourage you to get a copy of it. You can get it at founders.org. In our third segment of The Sword and the Trowel, we are dealing with various commands that God has given us in Scripture. Uh, We do that not because we're dirty, rotten legalists. (laughs) Although that might be true. (laughs) (laughs) We we certainly have the capacity to do so. Um, But we do that because we agree with uh, the psalmists, oh, how I love your law. We agree with Psalm 1 that those who meditate on the law of the Lord shall be like a tree planted by streams of water. Uh, that the law is good and spiritual, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans uh, 7. So we want to think upon the law so that we don't become legalists, knowing that the law points us to Christ and that by the grace of Christ, he strengthens us to obey his law, not as a covenant of works, but simply as a life of gratitude and devotion to the God who has saved us apart from works. Yeah, everybody has a law. And if you're not going to have God's law, you're going to have somebody else's law. So far better to have the law of the one who created you and in Christ Jesus redeems you than any other source. I've said this before, probably on this podcast, but when I got to know you, Tom, one of the things I really liked about you is that you said, you know, watch out for people dropping shoulds on you. If they're dropping shoulds (laughs) on you, make sure they got biblical warrant to do it. And I thought, man, that's great. And just um, you really do exude this the way Christ says, come to me, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Yes, if there's something in the Word, if there's a should and it's grounded in the Word, amen. Let's do it and let's encourage other people to do it. But I didn't realize how many people in just my whole life have been dropping shoulds that aren't grounded in the <laughs> Word. So it's, it's wonderful to go, okay, I see what people are doing here, just to be wised up on that. Today we want to talk about the the 10th commandment as it appears before Sinai. And this will bring our little Ten Commandments pre-Sinai to a conclusion. The 10th commandment is thou shalt not covet. Tom, where do we see that before Sinai? Well, I think you see it in Genesis chapter 3 when Eve is coveting the fruit. Mm -hmm. She is desiring that which God has not provided for her. She's not content to have all of the other trees and the fruit from all the other trees in the garden available to her. It's that one tree. We usually, when the story is told about the fall in Genesis 3, put the emphasis upon the one tree that God restricted when we forget about the fact that there was only one tree. He'd given them everything else in the garden, Mm -hmm. and yet that was not enough. And that's the way covetousness works. We focus on the things that we don't have rather than the things that we do have. Mm. Uh, We have Abimelech coveting Abraham's wife, and thus he's breaking the Ten Commandments. He was then threatened with death unless he returned her to Abraham. That's in Genesis chapter 20 and verse 3, far before um, the giving of the law at Sinai in Exodus 20. Yeah, also Jethro, whenever uh, the father-in-law of Moses, I think it's in Exodus 18, when you know Moses is trying to judge every little case that's coming before him, Jethro said, man, this isn't wise, you're going to kill yourself. He says, you need to find men who... Uh, there's a list of qualities that they are to have, you know, wise and such. But in that list is they're not susceptible to a bribe. Yep. So they're not men given to covetousness. Yeah. In all of this, as we summarize this, this um, 
Ten Commandments pre-Sinai, all of this uh, helps us to understand that what's going on in Exodus 20 is the Mosaic Covenant. It is something uh, in addition to simply the moral law revealed yeah. for all mankind. It is a, a sovereign agreement being made with Israel that they obey the Ten Commandments in order to attain life in Canaan. And so though that is a ministry of death carved in letters on stone, that old covenant, as the New Testament tells us, and it was coming to an end, that doesn't mean that the Ten Commandments were coming to an end. The Ten Commandments existed prior to that covenant that God made with Israel at Sinai. And they continue today so that with Paul, we ought to be able to say, in my inner man, I delight in the law of God. That's right. And they manifestly do not exist today for Christians as they did for Israel. Exactly. They, they are not a covenant for us. This is not some agreement that God has made with us that if we keep these Ten Commandments, we will live. No, it's not at all. Jesus Christ has done all for us. We trust him. We are saved not by our works, but by grace through faith. And the the gratitude, our response to the God who has loved us is to love him and keep his commandments. You know, one way to think about this, Jared, is the Ten Commandments are not a ladder which we climb in order to get right with God, but rather they are like rails on a railroad track by which the gospel engine runs mm. to show us what does it mean to love God. This is what it means to love God. You keep his commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And if you've been looking around and noticing the absolute destruction that's going on in our own society as people um, frame mischief with a law, you'll see that there are no better railroad tracks to go down than God's railroad tracks. His law Amen. is good. So Amen. we think upon it and live it out. You have been listening to the Sword and the Trowel podcast with Jared Longshore and Tom Askell. This podcast is produced by Founders Ministries. For more information, visit www.founders.org. To hear more from the Sword and the Trowel, you can follow Founders on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or by subscribing to our email list at www.founders.org.